0: Humble pie is the breakfast of ministry champions. Effectively bearing witness for Jesus Christ takes large daily servings of humble pie. Mark Allen. It's true. Paul has certainly been humbled by the gospel. He is giving his testimony and we saw the... It in Acts chapter 9, we see him repeating it here as he's seeking to defend himself to his Jewish brethren's, brethren. But Paul has been humbled by the gospel. He was once trying to destroy the gospel. He certainly wasn't preaching the gospel. He hated Christ. He thought he was a false messiah. He hated the church. He wanted to stamp out what they called the way. And he was, going not, he was not satisfied to just do so in Jerusalem, but he was going to Damascus. And we've seen and we reviewed a couple weeks ago, uh, he shares his testimony about how Christ revealed Himself to him, knocking him off of his high horse or high mule, as it were, and, and calling him to faith and Ananias was with him. Paul repented. He received Christ. He becomes a preacher of the gospel he was once trying to destroy. But Christ, with His gospel, has humbled the Apostle Paul he has sent him back to Jerusalem. You can see what he's rehearsing here, that you know, Christ at times has commanded him to leave Jerusalem because of the danger. But we've seen before in our study now, he has sent him back. They're, they're bringing ministry for the, for, the, for the church there, and he's coming back. Uh, he believes, and I believe it's true that he's following the, the, uh, the will of the Lord, that he has revealed to him that he come back and face whatever happens as a result of being back in Jerusalem. So he has been arrested. Uh, at first the Jews took him and were about to kill him. Now he's been arrested and he's making his defense. He's giving his testimony. But he's giving his testimony to a hostile audience. To an unreceptive audience. But that didn't stop him. And Today I want us to see, yeah, my old rock and roll days come out again. The title, Dust in the Wind. Um, main focus here is why is there dust in the wind? Why are they throwing dirt into the air? Why are they shouting and and asking for Paul not just to be removed but to actually be killed? Why are the Jews so ferociously opposed to God's ministry through Paul to the Gentiles? That's really the one question we want to sort of look at and answer this morning. The main point coming away from our brief look at this text, the gospel must humble us before we will accept and participate in Christ's mission to all nations. The gospel must humble us. Christ must humble us before we will accept and participate Christ's mission to the nations. It was true in that day. It's true in our day as well but look first at what I've called Paul's perfect resume. We know if you go read in Romans chapter nine and 10, you'll see uh, Paul's great passion for the Jewish people, his great love for the Jewish people, his great desire for the Jewish people to come to faith in Jesus. That's one of the things that's bringing him back to Jerusalem. And he he would at least think he would be just the right person to talk to them. That's why I called it Paul's perfect resume. But look, you ever find, you don't ever do this, but some people in some place, somewhere, sometimes, maybe argue with the Lord or argue with his word or his word His Word doesn't seem to be quite lining up with either our what we think or our desires. <clears throat> but here Paul, it says this when, in verse 17, when I had returned to Jerusalem, was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance. He saw a vision, right? And, and, and he saw Jesus and Jesus says, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Now, Paul's going to disagree with that a little bit. He, says, he said, I said, Lord. He's like, what? Lord. As though the Lord has forgotten something. They themselves know that in the synagogue, In in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believe in you. See, I was just like them, so I have a connection. And and you know, we see him trying that again here when he's giving this testimony. But even back in Acts chapter nine, you know, when he's he's come back to Jerusalem, he's converted, he's gone to Damascus and off, and he's back to Jerusalem. He thinks he's the right one to be there. He's like, I get these people, and and really, they should get me. I I was persecuting your church when the blood of Stephen, your witness or or martyr, was being shed. I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. Lord, I understand why they hate your gospel. I understand why they hate your people. I was once in their shoes. I probably am the right one to talk to them. Don't you understand this whole situation, Lord? Lord, Why are you telling me to leave? I mean, look at my resume. I'm the right dude. Did you know that God won't argue with you? Most of the time, He won't argue with you. He doesn't even always... I mean, think of Job. He didn't get the why and all of the other questions. He just got who his God was, and that was enough. Look what Jesus said. Go. Go. For I will send you far away. To the Gentiles go for I will send you far away so this takes us to Paul and you can see I'm working through these first two points rather quickly we're going to spend most of our time on the third point but Paul is saying Lord don't you understand I'm the right one Jesus comes back with Paul's predestined mission his predetermined mission now watch this the Lord Jesus just simply said go I will send you far away. Go. Go. Does that remind you of anything? We'll talk about it later, but Matthew 28, 18 through 20. That doesn't mean as you are going or if it's convenient. It's actually a command. Go. Get out of here. Go with the gospel. He's telling Paul, no, my plan for you is to send you, the ex-Pharisee, the Jew who knows everything about the Jews, is to send you to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. That wasn't a mistake. Galatians one13 to sixteen says this, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Man, I was a Jew of the Jews. But, one of those but God moments, right? But when he who had, no watch this, he who had set me apart before I was born, reminds me of Jeremiah, the first part of that, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, watch this, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. So God knew all along what he was going to do with the Apostle Paul. And it wasn't just a convenient moment. It was just exactly the right time when he arrested him on the road to Damascus. Jesus revealed himself to him. He repents and trusts in Christ. And he is sent to the Gentiles. Some of the very people he's writing in, in Galatia. And that epistle I just quoted. So Paul has a perfect resume in his mind for the Jews, no, sent to the Gentiles, and this was not a haphazard thing God had planned all along to send Paul to the Gentiles. Take this Jew of the Jews who knows the law in and out and send him to the Gentiles. And you know what? He's humbled by the gospel. He's willing to serve Jesus in any way he wants Him to serve, and he's willing to do whatever he says And he goes and he adopts that mission. And you can read Galatians and find out a little more of the backstory if you want to in the first chapter. But um, we're going to move on. So that's Paul's perfect resume and his predetermined mission. Christ has sent him to the Gentiles. Now remember, he's giving his testimony here to a hostile crowd, but they have have sort of gone silent when they heard him start speaking in the Hebrew dialect. They've gone silent. They are listening to him. He's talking about persecuting the church and they're like, "Mm mm-hmm, Getting that. We're good. We're, we're kind of on with that. Yeah, get, get, get the church, the Apostle Paul. But there's a transition here that really grabbed my mind and what I really want us to think most about this morning. So as soon as he says, now watch this. This is Paul's perturbed, sorry, I just wanted another P. Paul's perturbed audience. They're, they're not happy. They're angry. They're, they're, they, but look, look, what, look what ticks them off if you want to use that language. It's just one word. It's just one word that lights the fire. One bad word. Look at this, verse 22. Up to this word they listened to Him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. They were shouting and throwing dirt in the air. One word. One little word. Gentiles. That was the match thrown in the gasoline. Don't try that, kids. You will have a large and dangerous surprise. Just the one little fuse that set them off was one word. Gentiles. The God of our fathers. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has revealed to me a Jew of the Jews that He is sending me to the Gentiles. Have you ever seen a crowd? Have you ever seen film of a crowd? Middle Easterners are very passionate people and very demonstrative in in protest and and casting dirt on their heads and throwing dirt and you know, just there, there was a whole crowd of people doing this. One bad word, and they're in a frenzy. It says that not only do they want him to die, don't just take him away, kill him. That's which is what they were trying to do. It says they're shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dirt into the air or dust into the air or dust in the wind. No relationship to the song. (sighs) Why are they mad? Why are they so upset? Why, Why and how could one little word Blow the place up. This has happened before. Look quickly. Paul is just following in Jesus's footsteps, and the same sort of thing happened to Jesus when he started sort of even hinting at a Gentile equality with the Jews, or maybe even times when God preferred Gentiles over Jews. Got him in trouble too. Look at Luke four twenty-five to twenty-nine. Now, Jesus is in his own hometown. He's, the prophet's not received in his own hometown. He's telling them the Scriptures are fulfilled in their hearing when he's reading. There's all sorts of things going on here. But in verse 4, 25, uh, 4, chapter 4 of Luke, verses 25 to 29, But in truth, I tell you that... Now, this is Jesus speaking. I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. You remember the famine, right? when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath. Elijah was not sent to any of the widows in Israel. He was sent to the widow in Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was He was sent to a Gentile, to a pagan woman. And as if he's not pushed that far enough, he says, and there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed but Naaman the Syrian. None in Israel cleansed. No Jews cleansed, just this Gentile. No Jewish, just it. And and they all said, hmm, brother, what might we learn from that? Look at this. When they heard these things, here we go again, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to throw to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But you know, being the son of God, he walked right through them and got away. But notice what ticked them off. Jesus said that there were times when God preferred, prioritized Gentiles over Jews. Boom. Same thing's happening here. Any hint that God might give priority or even equality to the Gentiles was unacceptable why they are God's chosen people. They are the privileged ones. They are the one, you know gentiles are just unclean dogs to be kept away from. See what has happened in Israel. National privilege. National privilege being chosen above all other nations has degenerated into national pride and hatred and rejection. See, the national privilege should create humility. Individual privilege should create humility. A proud Reformed person is a, you know, it's like jumbo shrimp. Doesn't, it shouldn't go together. Any knowledge of God and His sovereignty and His grace to us should do nothing but humble us. But if we're not careful, knowledge puffs up. But love edifies. What has happened to them and God's favor to them has produced a proud nation that looked down on the Gentiles. See, see, we know we're in trouble when we're looking down on people. When we are, in some sense, either thinking or acting as though we're better than others. My particular group is better than your particular group. So you're worth less than I am. I mean, that could apply so many topics. I mean, there are people who would go crazy right here over racism a lot of times. And it's true. If you hate a person because of the color of their skin or their ethnicity, then you are a racist. Doesn't matter whether you're a person in power or a person oppressed. Red, yellow, black, and white. If you hate people because of who they are in God's sovereignty, what their ethnicity is, you're a racist. am not going there this morning. I'm working on gospel humility. I think it's a bigger thing here. But I will at least say that. There are some people who say certain groups can't be racist. That's just a lie. Racism is a sin and anybody can commit it. Don't listen to Marx. Listen to Jesus. Okay? Or others. When they conflict with Jesus, listen to Jesus. But listen, the Messiah coming for both Jew and Gentile should not be a surprise to them. This should not be a surprise to them. God has told them this all throughout the Old Testament. I'll just highlight one text in the Old Testament and one in the New where Paul is sort of explaining this. But Galatians 12, 2 and 3 God speaking to Abram at that point. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be proud. So that you will be a blessing. Watch this. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And watch this. In you all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the families, not just your family, not just the Jewish people, but all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. He didn't just choose Israel, He created Israel, but He created Israel with a purpose and He kept them as a nation with a purpose so that through them His Son, the Savior, the Messiah, the long-hoped-for Messiah would come and that Messiah would be a Savior for all the people. Jew first, then Gentile, Paul says in Romans. Paul said, I mean, not Paul, (laughs) Moses, in Genesis, all the families will be blessed. All the nations will be blessed. The Gentiles and the Jews will be blessed. Look look in uh, Romans 15, 8 to 12. Paul is, is sort of speaking on these lines in Romans 15. He says, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that's Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Watch this. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. Now he starts quoting the Old Testament. Watch this. As it is written, Therefore I I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. From Psalm 18 and other places. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. Deuteronomy 32. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. When you see the word nations, it's the same thing, right? And let all the peoples extol Him. That was from Psalm 117. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope, Isaiah 11. It is all throughout the Old Testament, God's plan to save a people that include both Jew and Gentile. It's nonsense to say that the church is not mentioned in the Old Testament. But the church is composed of one new man, Ephesians 2, in Christ. Jew and Gentile made one new man. I mean, the word Gentile is not necessarily saying anything about a person other than they're not a Jew. I mean, that's the whole world to a Jew. Jew and Gentile. That's, that's everybody. Right? Right? But tradition had piled up and hidden the truth of Scripture from view. And the Gospel in the Old Testament has been lost. The mission is lost. Grace for the nations is lost. National privilege has become national pride so that we are the ones. It is our world and you are just in it to serve us. And the Messiah they were looking for was not a Messiah who was going to come and reconcile a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. They were looking for a Messiah to come and conquer Rome and remove Rome's boot from their neck. See, tradition had encrusted over Revelation so that, they, that Revelation was no longer in sight rightly interpreted. That's happened in the history of the church as well. That's why there was a necessary thing called a reformation. Instead of mercy, that the Jews should have had compassion, there was condemnation and rejection. Instead of grace, there was hatred and demeaning. Gentiles are dogs, right? Instead of mission and outreach, there was pride and separation. And that's why it only took one little word Gentiles to send dust flying into the air, to send death threats going, to to cries for Him to be killed. What is the bottom line here that I want you to see? These Jews, the ones that are opposed to the Gospel at this point, we don't know how many of them end up coming to Christ, that's not today. But at this point, they have not been humbled by the Gospel. They are like Paul, pre-Christ, hating the Gentiles, hating the Gospel, hating Jesus, and wanting it all stamped out. They have not been humbled by the Gospel. They are still living in ethnic pride. And hating. Isn't this the irony? Hating their own Messiah. Hating their own Messiah, hating the good news of their own Messiah. Because tradition has taught them things that are just not so. Not all tradition is bad, but there's some some bad tradition developed here, which Paul would point out and could be the topic of another sermon. See, that's just what I wanted us to see that the Gentiles, just that one word set this off, and it set it off because there was a lack of humility in God's people such that they had missed his gospel. They had killed his son with the hands of the Romans, yes. And they are here rejecting their own Messiah and His Gospel. See, really the problem is not Paul. It's Jesus. And the fact that Jesus would send Paul to the Gentiles. We're going to pick that up next week and see Paul before the council. But I just wanted to stop there and just make a little bit of application Have you been humbled by the gospel? And I, want, I, I hope you see, I'm going to confess right now, and I hope we see more of this later. I'm going to say yes and no. None of us are glorified yet. and all, There's always room for growth. But think about this. Humility works love in us. Love for God and love for others. And uh, if we're truly humble and people of love, then we will want to sacrifice ourselves for others. We, like Paul, have received a command to go. The church is commanded to go to the Gentiles and the Jews with the gospel. If you're trusting in Jesus, you are part of His church. purchased. Paul would say, for Him. We no longer belong to ourselves, but to Him who died for us and who was raised from the grave. And Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18-20, it says this, after His resurrection, it says, Jesus came and said to them, now watch this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. What does that mean? I am King. I am King. Here's My command. So We're not waiting for Jesus to be King, by the way. He's on the throne now, ruling the earth for his church to see his gospel go to the ends of the earth. You know where Swansboro is? Part of the ends of the earth when you read Acts. Judea, Samaria. It's come all the way here. Now he says, He said, All authority is mine, heaven and earth. I have all authority now. And on the basis of that, look at verse 19. You go. Plural you, church, go. And it is a command. You may have heard, and I alluded to this earlier, you may have heard some people say that it means as you are going. They're misinterpreting the participle there. It's in conjunction with the main verb and takes on its flavor. It is a command. The church is commanded to go and make disciples of all nations. All ethnos. Every ethnic group baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So in the evangelistic endeavor, as we share the gospel and people come to faith in Christ that baptism, yes, is to be there. We don't just to go out we don't just run out and grab people and dunk them in water or sprinkle water on them. That doesn't make a disciple. We know that comes through preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel. So we're commanded to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now look, there's another element of that. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. One of the things He's commanded them, which they're to teach us and we're to walk in, is to go and make disciples. Right? See the logic of that? Jesus commissioned to his church. This is the main point of the church. This is the reason we're here is to make disciples. Is to see people come to faith in Christ and to be nurtured and grow up in Christ. So we've received a command to go. Just like the apostle Paul. And obedience to that command will require compassion for others. And compassion only flows out of humility because our default setting, our natural setting is self first. Self preservation, self protection. I want to witness, but I'm worried about what they'll think about me or I don't have the answers to all of their questions or I, 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 I suffer from I-ism just like you do. This has been convicting to me for more of the week than it is for you right now. I'm not speaking down my nose to you. I'm speaking to us including me this morning. But obedience requires compassion and compassion only grows in the fertile soil of humility. Here's a quote from a secular book, but I think it's, it's a good quote. Carly Fiorina, she was head of HP. I don't even know if she still is. This is an older book. But listen to this. To practice humility and empathy, we must step outside the bounds of ourselves first. Yeah. Step outside of our comfort zones. And then outside of our own little tribes. It's human nature to want to be with our own people, our kind, our squad. It's easier and often more fun, always more comfortable to spend time with people like us. Isn't that true? I mean, yeah. And yet, if we want to make a difference, we must approach and engage with people who think, look, act, and act differently. I don't know, I just found that quote fascinating as I was studying this thing. You know, that really describes you know humility we, we have to be willing to step outside of ourselves and not it is not always about fun i doubt very seriously that it was fun for paul to be being beat up like he was so we need what we need what we need in our own what i need what i need and i, I and i and i know if you're if you're trusting in christ this morning what you need even if you aren't we all need to grow in humility so how do we grow in humility Because the more humble I am, the more outside of myself I'll be. In other words, the more I'll be willing to step out to sacrifice myself for others. And see, for a much higher reason than she was even writing about in that book, for a gospel reason, for people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to give you a few suggestions this morning on cultivating humility and just have you think about them. Um, we've seen that a lack of humility is why these people are upset. They are not receiving the gospel. They're not believing Paul. They're not loving their own Messiah. They're not trusting their own God. But how might we cultivate humility? Here, I'm almost done. Number one, humility in the mission is born in proclaiming the gospel to ourselves regularly. See, the Gospel is not just the door into the Christian life. The Gospel is daily life in the Christian life. Most days we'll wake up legalists and need to remind ourselves of the Gospel. And the Gospel humbles us so that we trust and rest in God and walk in His grace and in His strength. See, the Gospel reminds us... Here, just think about this. The Gospel reminds us of what we deserve and what He did. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The soul that sins shall die. We are born needing a Savior, and if we're not trusting in Jesus, we are under condemnation. Jesus said that. I'm not saying that. Go read John chapter 3. So the Gospel reminds me that what I deserve from God is condemnation. It should have been me on the cross. I should be in hell now. Nothing I could do to clean myself up or make myself better. But look what He did. He sent His Son into the world to save His enemies. Jesus came into the world, born under His own law, fulfilled all righteousness. He didn't need to do that for Himself. He's already righteous. But He's providing a righteous standing for His people so that then He takes on our sin, our guilt, and He pays the penalty for that on the cross. And because He's God and man, He could take in terms we understand, He could take eternal hell on Himself and drink it dry before He came off that cross because He's God and man. And He was able to say, it is finished before He came off the cross. So I deserve condemnation, but Jesus took it for me. I should, I, I should spend eternity in hell, but Christ took that for me so that I am not just free of condemnation. I get all of the blessing as a son of God as a child of God that he deserves to have in other words God has been merciful and gracious to me because of Jesus that humbles me that keeps me humble if I'm listening to it it puts me in a good standing it also keeps me at rest see if none of my hopes in me and it's all in Jesus I can rest every day all day because he is my salvation So humility first is in mission. What will send us out? What made Isaiah Isaiah say, here I am, send me? Go read Isaiah chapter 6. He'd been cleansed from his sin. He'd been forgiven. And now he wants to go tell others. See, the better we get, the better we're set free from legalism, the more we're rested in grace, the more we want others to know about it. I mean, think about new babies or Grandparents, especially new grand. I mean, when good stuff happens, man, we want people to know about it. We talk about what we're excited about. But the gospel humbles us. It empowers us. It makes us look to Christ. We see who he is for us and we want to follow him. So the first way to cultivate humility on a daily basis is to remember the gospel. Secondly. Humility and mission is born out of remembering that we were first recipients of the gospel before we ever share it. What does that mean? Remember, somebody came to you with the gospel. He could have, but Jesus probably didn't just appear in your bedroom room and give you the gospel or your living room or in your car on the way to work. Somebody should told you about Christ. Now you say, mm, I was reading a book. Somebody wrote that book. Well, no, I was reading my Bible. (laughs) Under the empowerment and direction of the Spirit, they wrote about Jesus. You can't get away from it because Jesus gave the gospel to the apostles and said, Take this to the ends of the earth. And through them, that gospel came to us, to the ends of the earth. Somebody was humble enough to speak to me. I remember abusing people like crazy who tried to talk to me about Jesus when I was young. And maybe they didn't do it the right way. They, they got on to me for my cussing and probably should have. The, ba- the church would love for us to come play basketball on their basketball court, but they didn't want us to be who we are while we did it. But somebody, somebody else had compassion and shared with us And there's a long list of faithfulness coming down to us. So let's don't don't be a dam that doesn't let the water come through. Right? Let's take that nourishment and pass it on. So humility is born from remembering the Gospel. It's born from remembering that somebody had to share it with us. Thirdly, humility and mission is born out of remembering that we were foreigners living in the world. That we are foreigners. I'm sorry, we not were. As we share the gospel, we need to remember that the person with whom we are speaking, now listen to me, don't try to correct people's external stuff. The person, the people, if we're speaking to lost people, they're going to think, speak, feel, act differently because they're still in a different kingdom. They're in the world. One of the biggest mchurches, mistakes, mchurches? One of the biggest mistakes church people make is trying to get pagans to live like Christians instead of trying to be conduits of the gospel so that they actually come to believe the gospel and want to love and follow Christ. So just remember, we're foreigners. We're exiles. We're in a new kingdom. We've been transferred out of the kingdom of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have forgiveness of sins. So if you're going to go witness to lost people, you're probably going to hear some stuff you don't want to hear, but don't pick at that. Keep the Gospel the main thing. But it's remembering who we are. We've been delivered. We're in a new kingdom. We're followers of Christ. And that's all because of Him. He changed us. And then fourthly, humility and mission is born out of remembering that we walk in the footsteps of Jesus. See, that's what we are really called to follow Jesus. To live like and for Jesus. To live in joyful obedience to Jesus' commands, to His Word. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And see, the Gospel is what produces that love and that humility so that we look to Him and love Him and want to like Isaiah. Here I am, send me. See, when I won't go, I'm too focused on myself. When I won't talk to my neighbor, I don't want to say I'm proud, but I am. When I, when I, when I, when I, implication, I'll talk to other people about Jesus when I'm confident that I won't mess up and I know I can answer all their questions. That day will never come. I'm called to follow Jesus. Now, look at how Paul points that out in Philippians. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is not telling you to deny your family and all of your other responsibilities, but to have others interested heart now watch have this mind among yourselves which is yours in christ jesus who though he was in the form of god he was in the highest place did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped or selfishly held on to and it doesn't mean it does not mean he gave up his deity he emptied himself it it wasn't a, a giving up his deity emptying it was an addition emptying he he humbled himself by taking a human nature he says, being, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient. You could say all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross, the most heinous, cruel death there ever would be. Jesus sacrificed himself that we might be brought into his kingdom. And we are to have that mindset of sacrificing ourselves so that others are brought into his kingdom. I don't know how many of you know who Nabil Qureshi was. He was a Muslim. He was raised in the United States, but he was raised as a Muslim. Right? And he said this. And I could be one of these Christians. I mean, I never met the guy, but This is just convicting, right? He said the Christians who were around me wouldn't share the gospel with me and I never realized why. And I see he comes to this realization later fully, but he's like, these people won't talk about it. And he said in another time, he said, I found that most Christians I met didn't even know why they believed what they believed. But he said, the Christians who were around me wouldn't share the gospel with me and I never realized why. Now watch, but he made a conclusion. He said, I concluded either they didn't believe the gospel was true or if they did believe it, they didn't care if I went to hell. Now by God's grace, somebody did share the gospel with him and he did up becoming a Christian. But when people know especially when people know I'm a Christian when people know I'm a pastor when people know that and I don't and I won't share the gospel with them what else are they to conclude that thing he talks about on Sunday is not really real or he doesn't care I think it's Penn, of Penn and teller who's an atheist, but the Christians he disrespects are the Christians who won't tell him the gospel. He said, because if they believe it and they really believe I'm going to hell, I would expect them to reach out to me. Christ died for us. He paid the penalty for all of our sins. He defeated death for us. He went through the grave, not just into it. He was raised on the third day victorious. He defeated death by death. We sang it. And he did that for us. He calls us to follow him. And I don't want you to leave here with condemnation today or just conviction. I want you to leave with encouragement that every bit of your failure to be on mission has been paid for. And mine too. But, but the gospel should humble me so that I'm willing to talk to others about Jesus. It should humble you so that you don't make excuses. I won't be able to answer their questions. I don't really feel comfortable doing that. I'm afraid of what they'll think of me. Notice where all those sentences start. So I'm asking myself this and I'm saying yes and no. I'll ask you the same question. Has the gospel humbled you? Has it humbled me? Has it humbled us? Has it made us like Jesus? Are we compassionate? Or are we metaphorically throwing dust in the air, resisting? See, if we're compassionate, we will be growingly diligent witnesses of God's grace in Jesus. Listen, I know I'm taking a risk of reducing the population of the church today. They say if you want to clear a room, two topics will do it, prayer and evangelism. I hope you don't just see me pressing you this morning to be an evangelist. I'm, I'm pressing us, me and you, into Jesus who was so compassionate towards us so that we will then be humbled by that and willing to step out and take abuse or whatever comes to tell others about jesus see the gospel delivers us from twin enemies one is pride on the one hand is pride and on the other hand is despair maybe some of you are really good witnesses if you just look at yourself you might get all puffed up about that Mm -mm. gospel needs to humble that god's not using you because of you if he is a lot of the rest of us are really stinky witnesses and we get over here and dwell up in despair Ah, I really stink. Yeah, okay, there's gospel for really stink, okay? The gospel delivers us from both of those because it points us to and grounds us and roots us in Jesus who has who has loved us is loving us and will love us, who has lived for us and died for us and been raised from the grave, who forgives us of all of our sins and and cleanses us and clothes us in his righteousness, who empowers us by his spirit so that we might have the privilege Of living for Him and speaking for Him. See, you're not good enough to be beyond the need of God's grace, but you're not, you haven't failed enough to be beyond the reach of God's grace because Jesus died and paid our penalty. Jesus was raised. He is reigning for us, He is good, and His throne is a throne of mercy. We can run to that throne to find help and strength and forgiveness and power. We can have proper expectations. Look at me, in this life, none of you will ever be a perfect witness. Not one day in your life. You're not glorified yet. But what we strive for is to be growingly good Christians, followers of Jesus. Part of that is speaking about Him. He's paid the penalty. He's provided the the righteousness. He's provided the power. See, the main point I wanted us to think about coming away from this is the gospel must humble us. Notice that it's not legalism that humbles us. It's not anything other than God's grace. The gospel must humble us before we will accept and participate in Christ's mission to all the nations. Both Jew and Gentile are on equal footing before God, born in this world, needing a Savior. And you know, God could have sent the angels to deliver that message, but He didn't. In His wisdom, He has sent us. And you come in contact with people in your calling, in your neighborhood, in your realm that none of the rest of us will ever come into contact with. If we have been humbled by the Gospel, we will be growing witnesses of Jesus. Humble pie is the breakfast of ministry champions And effectively bearing witness for Jesus takes large daily servings of humble pie. Takes large daily servings of grace. Large daily servings of His gospel. So that in our lives this produced gospel humility that mirrors or imitates Jesus' humility. Rest in Jesus' humility for you. And go and be humble and speak for Him. You are called, go, to live as Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I think we're all convicted by this topic. And, and I, I know I'm convicted by it. I know there's, there's times when I even despair over it. Um, and yet those times are when I'm looking at myself. I'm not looking at you and your graciousness and your mercy, your kindness and your forgiveness. Lord, help me to put on and wear and keep on gospel glasses so that I see everything through your grace, your goodness to us, the truth of the gospel. That reality is interpreted, Lord Jesus, by you and your cross and resurrection. Help me to be intentional about witness, to pray about it and for it, to seek to create opportunities, to speak to others when I'm comfortable and when I'm not comfortable, Lord, and and help us all to do that. Lord, we have much to brag on and to speak about in your grace to us. So I pray that the struggles of life won't overshadow and cloud out your grace. I pray that our trials, that our joys, that our hobbies, none of that will get between us and you so that it, it squelches us. But may we root down deep in your grace and root down deep in your gospel on a daily basis so that we're willing to love you and love others by being Vessels through which you pour your grace to those who need to know you. It is really you working in and through us. So forgive us, Lord, for our failures. And there are many to be passionate witnesses for you. And create in us a new and a growing passion flowing out of a new humility. Because we're looking to the cross, to Christ, to your forgiveness and grace. Here we are, Lord. (laughs) Send us. When it's easy and when it's hard, send us. Open our lips, open our mouths to speak of your grace because our hearts are rested in your grace. Have mercy, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' holy name. Amen.